Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, August 4th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You have questions? Well, I have answers. And my answers will be 100% correct or your money back. Guaranteed. So, as I mentioned at the end of the show last week, I am playing in a hockey tournament in Nashville, Tennessee this weekend, and I needed to do an episode of the podcast that I could record earlier in the week, so I'm not trying to, you know, produce a podcast on the road um, at the same time as I'm trying to get ready to play hockey. That wasn't going to work well together. I thought, well, you know what? This would be a great week to do an Ask Mike Anything episode. And I've done one of these before. It went really well. So if you were listening to the show last week, you know that I um, gave my email address out and said, hey, Ask Mike Anything. And you guys responded. I got a bunch of great questions. Um, I also posted on my personal Facebook page that I was going to do this and got some great questions there as well. In fact, I I have more questions than I can answer in a reasonable uh, length podcast. So I'm going to have to put some of the questions off. Maybe we'll do another episode of Ask Mike Anything down the road. But um, anyway, got some great questions. And, And the way I'm doing this, obviously, I know the questions because I saw them in the email and I've transferred them to my show notes. But um I have not scripted any answers to any of these questions. So basically, I'm going to read the question. I'm going to answer it off the top of my head. Um, so this is completely unscripted. It's just basically my opinion. Uh, and, and, you know, so take the answers with a grain of salt. There's no research involved other than one question, which I will let you know when I get to it. I did actually look something up because I thought it was important to, to know some context there. So that's how we're going to do this. Um, so we'll get to that here in a second. Interesting side note before we start with the questions, though. Um, normally, I do script the podcast pretty carefully. You'll notice I use a, a lot of data, and you know you, you really can't do that in, in a, uh, or at least I can't do that in an efficient way off the top of my head. I just can't remember all of that stuff, and I'm not willing to put the hours that it would take to memorize everything, um, or the amount of time it would take to keep redoing if I tried to do it just all off the cuff. So normally I do script the uh, the podcast. And according to my script numbers, this is episode number 300, which is hard to believe that I've been doing this podcast that long. But indeed, we're um, at at least the 300th episode of the Friday Gold Wrap podcast. There actually might be, uh, we might actually be a, a few more than that at this point, because I think there's some scripts that got lost or maybe misnumbered. Um, somewhere along the line, it seems that I got confused and, and messed up my numbering system. Um, but anyway, a lot of podcast episodes, so pretty cool. So with all of that, let's get to some of these questions. We'll start with Rick. He sent me an email. I'm going to do the uh, email questions first since those were all from listeners. Um, a lot of the Facebook questions were from friends. So we'll do the, uh, we'll do the email ones first. Um, and this first one is from Rick, and he says or asks, when you speak about holding precious metals, what, in your opinion, is the time duration we should be holding for the dollar to stabilize and before precious metals would severely drop in spot price? 
Well, to be honest, I don't think there ever is going to be a, a point where the dollar is going to stabilize. Um, you know, if, if you're thinking about the current bout of price inflation, I mean, that certainly could stabilize somewhat. But I'm not going to sell all of my gold and silver just because uh, price inflation gets to the Fed's 2% target. I mean, even at the 2% target, they're devaluing the dollar 2% every year, right? Um, so, as long as the government can print money, the government's always going to print money. And we know that whenever there is a major crisis or a major, a major emergency, if there's a war, the printing presses are going to run full speed. So, there is always good reason to have precious metals in your portfolio. Um, there is no exit point for me other than when I retire. So, and, and again, you know, I really can't answer specific questions like this with any accuracy because it really depends on what your um, investment strategy is, what you're trying to accomplish, uh, you know, where you are in uh, your life. Uh, for me, I'm getting close to thinking about retirement, maybe, although I'm probably never going to actually retire, but, you know, getting to that point where I'm going to want to not work full time. And so, for me, I'm holding precious metals in the same way that I would hold cash. Uh, it's, to me, a safe investment, and, and it's a way for me to hold money and for it not to devalue. Um, and, you know, any major increase in the value of gold uh, due to the malfeasance of the Fed is just a bonus. Um, and I will cash out my precious metals down the road when, you know, I need to make house repairs or go on a trip or whatever happens during retirement that I would need um, access to relatively liquid cash. So that's why I'm investing in gold and silver. But other people do invest, um, you know, they're, they're playing the the ups and downs. Uh, there, there are some people who actually uh, play gold day to day and silver both. They'll use ETFs and, and trade on the uh, ETF markets and try to cash in on the ups and downs that we see on a daily basis. So really, it all depends on your own personal investment strategy. But I don't think there's ever going to be a point where the dollar is going to stabilize and you're going to say, well, I don't want precious metals anymore because the dollar is fine. Never going to happen. The more likely scenario is a dollar collapse where we see uh, the the dollar knocked off its perch as the reserve currency and an extreme devaluation in its value. Uh, Rick goes, goes on. He has a couple of follow-up questions. He said, what all... What market indicators should I be looking at to determine the exit point to sell, or will we always be holding some? I pretty much answered that question. Uh, I think people will always be holding some precious metals in your portfolio. And, you know, I've said this before. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that's like, put all of your money in gold and silver. You know, you're going to be rich. No, it's part of a broader investment strategy, at least for me, again. Everybody's got their own way of doing things. But for me, it is part of my investment portfolio. I have other money in more risky investments. Um, I am diversified to the extent that I can be. Uh, gold and silver are part of an overall strategy. And then Rick asks, are there currently any debit cards available for precious metals? Um, I did read some on Glint. Um, are there any in conjunction with Visa or MasterCard, etc.? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I do know there are companies out there that will allow you to use a debit card in order to transact business in gold 
and or silver. Um, I know that that's part of the plan for the Texas Gold Bullion Depository. That's a state-run depository down in Texas that you'll actually be able to hold um, precious metals in your name, in the vault, and, and be able to actually use checks or debit cards to transact business, to transfer those small amounts of gold and silver to other people. Um, so that exists. I don't know a lot about it. I can't give you specific companies, but I'm sure if you use the old Google, uh, you'll be able to, to find where those companies are. So next we have Joe. And Joe asks, what are your thoughts on goldbacks? And uh, just for clarification, goldbacks are, actually I have some sitting here on my desk. They are actual physical gold that have been processed into kind of a laminated product. So I'm holding here in my hand one gold back, uh, which is one one thousandth of a troy ounce of 24 karat gold. Uh, they're really pretty. Um, they're about maybe half the size of, of a dollar bill. You can kind of hear them. They're flexy. Um, and, and they're just like currency. So the idea is, is that you have this very small amount of gold that you can easily hand to somebody else. You know, I could buy a cup of coffee with my gold back. And you can go to a website and look at the exchange rate for gold backs. I think uh, last time I looked, one gold back was worth about between four or five bucks. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what a gold back is. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Joe says, I personally think they are a great idea. I don't understand why more states are not getting involved. It ends money printing, or it ends the money printing problem that the Fed creates, the complications of using Bitcoin, especially during powder, power outages, possible government blockades, etc. Um, and it brings the power of money back to the people. I agree pretty much with everything that he said. I love gold backs. And... You know, if you've listened to me long, you know I'm a big advocate of currency competition. I'm a very strong believer that we need different options to transact business that are outside of the Federal Reserve's monopoly on money. Uh, I talk extensively about the problems of the Fed controlling money, the way it devalues the dollar. Um, and uh, so I think goldbacks are one potential solution. They are a competition to Federal Reserve notes. They are a way to do business with other people outside of the Fed's monopoly. I think it's always a good thing. You know, the question is always going to be, uh, will they take off to the point that there's enough people that are interested in them to actually uh, use them? I, I don't know. But I do like the concept, and I think a lot of the points that Joe makes are valid. And uh, while we're on the subject, I'll, I'll go to a Facebook question uh, from my good friend Alan. Um, and he asked, are there any metals-backed currency initiatives like goldbacks that you think have legs? Does regime uncertainty keep these from gaining more traction? In other words, fear that they will simply be confiscated, destroyed by the feds if they gain traction. Uh, and that's a great question. And, and I don't think that, at least in terms of really broad acceptance that there are any metals-backed currency initiatives that have legs, like widespread people are really excited and interested in it. I think there are things like goldbacks that have generated a lot of interest within smaller circles, such as a lot of people that are listening to this show. Um, but for the most part, I think, and I don't even really think it's regime uncertainty so much as it's just ignorance. You know, most people, if you go out and ask the average person on the street, um, they have no idea about how money works. They don't know what the Federal Reserve is or does. 
they understand that there's this thing called inflation that they think is rising prices. They get that, but they don't really know that there's a way around it. Uh, you know, they think Putin caused it or it's just voodoo um, because they're programmed to think that. So that ignorance makes people confident in the system. And as long as people are confident in the system, they're going to continue to use the system. So as long as people are content with the Fed's monopoly on money, I don't think that you're ever going to see anything get real legs in terms of currency competition. Um, when you will see that start to happen is when you really see um, you know, serious inflation well beyond what we saw uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, if, you know, if we ever got into hyperinflation, certainly uh, there would be more interested in alternative currencies. Or, you know, we did see a, a surge of interest in places like Greece, uh, you know, about 10 years ago when they were having all of their uh, crises and, and banks started shutting down and people couldn't access cash and they were forced to barter. Uh, there was a lot of interest in barter and silver and, and other alternatives. But uh, for the average person, it's kind of, uh, you know, I'll worry about that if it happens. Um, the one thing that I think could really spur um, some more interest in currency competition is if central bank digital currencies really start to take hold, and I think they will. Uh, I think a lot of people are intuitively concerned that with completely digital money, they recognize the power of control that that would give uh, governments. And so I, I think there is that potentially could create more interest in currency competition and give some of these um, alternatives legs. Dayton emailed me and asked, what is the argument by other economists against what you are saying? What do they believe will happen to the economy in the future? And what are the holes in their arguments if they are wrong? So, I guess I really, for... I'll give the quick overview of what I think is is kind of the trajectory of the economy. I think the Federal Reserve has created a bubble economy with multiple decades of easy money that has created all kinds of malinvestments in the economy, has incentivized a great deal of debt, and basically created a giant bubble. And we saw the bubble pop in 2008, and they were able to reinflate it. Uh, and, and kind of double down. And then during the pandemic, they doubled down again. And uh, this time around, it actually manifested in price inflation when they did all the money printing. Uh, but we still have this giant bubble, this giant fake economy uh, that is predicated on easy money and debt. And it is my view that now that price inflation has reared its ugly head, and the Fed has been forced to try to raise interest rates in order to tame that price inflation, that these rising rates are going to break something in the economy, that we're going to have a deep recession, uh, potentially even a depression. And at that point, the Fed is going to go back to printing money um, and quantitative easing and artificially low interest rates and all the things that they do to try to prop up the economy. And that is just going to reignite price inflation. So, in my view, stagflation is in the future, um, along with the potential collapse of the dollar down the road uh, when things get bad enough. The 
mainstream view seems to be that, no, 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 the Fed is going to be able to tame price inflation because we're seeing CPI come down and nothing's broken in the economy, so everything's going to be fine. And we might have a little mild recession uh, here in the next uh, year or so, but it's not going to be that big of a deal and price inflation will be fine and the economy's going to be fine and everything's going to be fine. Um, and so it's really a difference in economic models. Predominantly, mainstream economists are Keynesians. They buy into Keynesian economics. Um, I am an uh, advocate of the Austrian school of economics. There are much fewer or many fewer Austrian economists than there are Keynesians, so we are definitely a minority view. But I think our model better explains what's going on in the economy than the Keynesian model. And I think the Keynesian model is ultimately going to crash the economy. So it's really a difference between economic models. That's why we have this, this divergence. Um, and so I think the whole in their argument is they're operating off of a bad economic model. Um, they're underestimating uh, the the power of, of price inflation. Uh, they don't seem to understand or grasp that price inflation is predominantly being caused by all the money printing. Um, they believe in the efficacy of government spending. And government spending, in my view, is really part of the problem. So it's really just a... a diametrically opposed worldviews, and I believe the Austrian model explains much better what we've seen in the past and where we're going in the future than the Keynesian model. might be a good idea for me to find a really uh, good Austrian economist and uh, do an interview with them and talk to them about the difference between Keynesianism and Austrian economics. Maybe we'll see if we can get that in the works, but um, good question. Next question is from John, and he emailed me and asked, how long have you been stacking? And if you're not familiar with the lingo, by stacking, he means basically stacking gold bars, um, silver bars, gold coins. How long have I been uh, hoarding gold and silver? Um, and then he asked, what are some of your favorite coins, and uh, do you have any unique items? And honestly, I've not been investing in gold and silver for all of that long in the big scheme of things. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't doing anything for planning retirement for many, many years. Uh, I, I was not the most financially responsible person in the world. Um, and then a divorce kind of uh, amplified that issue. So I was late to the game in terms of really trying to uh, invest and, and prepare for my future and, and for retirement. Uh, so really, it's just been in the last 10 years that I have uh, really started to try to save money and invest, uh, not just in gold and silver, but just in general. Um, favorite coins? I, I don't really have any favorites. I'm, I'm dull. And I honestly don't have much interest in like collectibles. So some people get really into collectible gold coins and they'll be like, ooh, I have an 1863 Indian head gold coin or something. I don't even know if that's a thing. But you know, people are interested in the in that collectible value as well as the metal value. And I'm not. Um, all of my uh, buying has been purely in the form of boring bars and boring coins like uh, American Eagles, uh, 
you know, probably the most unique thing I have is some uh, some South African cougarans, and uh, those aren't exactly exotic. Um, so, no unique items, not really any favorite coins. I prefer the tried and true. Uh, I know what I'm getting. I know the metal value. That's really all that I'm interested in. So, pretty boring, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, not that there's anything long, wrong with the collectible. Um, I, there was an interesting article that I did for the uh, Shift Gold website uh, a week or two ago um, about a guy who found um, hundreds of gold and silver coins in a cornfield in Kentucky that were apparently buried uh, probably during the Civil War. And, uh, you know, the the value of those are tremendous uh, just because of the uh, the collectible value of them on top of the uh, the gold and metal value so there's nothing wrong with that type of collection but it's a whole different thing and and um, I think it's much more risky than just buying you know your boring uh, American gold eagle um, that it is primarily going to be sold based on the value of the metal and and again that's kind of my strategy and philosophy um, Jeff wrote, and he asked, you have often said um, recently, and I agree, that something in the economy is going to break. What are a few things that are likely to break? Um, well, I've talked about several of those things uh, on the show. I think commercial real estate is a prime candidate. In fact, I'm going to do an article probably this week on uh, some issues that we're seeing in the commercial real estate market. It's not just uh, the amount of debt that is in the market and the rising interest rates, but also um, some more fundamental things, some shifts in the way people are doing business uh, that is going to really cause problems for commercial real estate. So I think that's a big candidate. I don't think the banks are out of the woods. You know, they, they managed to paper over the banking crisis with a bank bailout program, which incidentally, um, banks are taking a great deal of advantage of. Uh, if you look at the Fed balance sheet, there are a lot of loans that are still on the books. So uh, banks are still tapping into that bailout. Um, and so... I think having that has enabled them to kind of paper over the problems, but there's still a lot of banks that I think are are shaky. I think you could see like a collapse in commercial real estate that cascades into the banking system. Um, I think that the stock market is bound for a, a big tank, uh, a big drop. In fact, I did an article um, by a, a hedge fund guy who said he sees a 65% drop in the S&P 500 in the near future. And this is a guy who called both the uh, stock market crash in the um, 80s and at the, uh, the uh, 2008. So, I think those are three things. But, you know, honestly, I think the most likely thing to break is something that we haven't thought of, right? Maybe something that we haven't noticed yet, something that's percolating under the surface, um, you know, kind of a black swan thing, because it's always the surprise, right? And so I kind of think it's something that maybe we haven't really realized yet. But, I mean, it could be anything. And, and probably, really, what you'll see is a combination of things breaking and a cascade effect. You know, this will tank, and that will uh, affect this, and that will affect that. And then you'll see um, a broader uh, broader problems. Um, Daniel emailed me, and he asked me, I don't understand the Fed balance sheet at all. Could you give an explanation that a simple person could understand? And he had a bunch of follow-up questions. Daniel, that's a great question. 
Um, I don't have time to answer that on this show. In fact, I think that would make a fantastic like full episode. Uh, so maybe here, uh, if you know, in one of these weeks where there's not a lot of news, um, and, and you know, with the Fed not meeting in August, maybe there'll be some time to actually do an entire episode on uh, what the Fed balance sheet is and how it works. So I will get to that, but I wanted to acknowledge that question because it's a really good question. Because um, I mean, a lot of that's pretty murky to me. A lot of it's accounting, um, and I, I have an accounting degree, so I, I kind of get it. But you know, there's there's some wonky things that the Fed does uh, because you know they get to make their own rules. Um, this next question is the one that I actually looked up something for. So Amir wrote, and he said, "Thanks for your weekly updates. I have a serious question about gold. U.S." The U.S. dollar has lost a lot of its value since the 1930s. Uh, that's true. And yet, if gold was a true representative of that kind of inflation, we should see a steady rise over the decades. Yet, this is what we see. And he sent me a chart, and it is an inflation-adjusted chart of the price of gold. Um, and we, so we see this. Can you explain why? So this is where there's some limitations to an audio format because uh, you can't see the chart that he sent me. But again, it is inflation adjustment adjusted. And if you look at it, you'll see a, a pretty steady decline in the price of gold through the 1950s. Um, in 1970, as you would expect, you see a big jump up. And of course, the reason for that is that uh, up until then, gold was actually pegged to the dollar. Um, so there was a, a correlation between gold and the dollar, and that was not completely done away with until the 1970s. And when that happened, you definitely see the big spike uh, in the price of gold, even inflation adjusted. And then it kind of trails off again through the 80s and 90s to get to 2000, and then it starts going up again, and it kind of levels off. And um, so, you know, it kind of looks erratic. And, and he's right. If you look at this chart, um, it, it does kind of like, well, there's no real correlation because we know that the dollar is steadily devaluing. Now, here's the thing. He sent me an inflation-adjusted chart. If you get a chart of the price of gold that is not inflation-adjusted, that is just absolute dollar terms, you see much more of a steady increase in the price of gold, um, especially after that uh, last tie was severed between the gold and the dollar when Nixon slammed the gold window shut. Um, so if you look at that, you see pretty much a flat line until the 1970s, and then a pretty steady increase up until 1982, and then it kind of flattens out uh, through the 90s uh, because there wasn't a lot of price inflation, and uh, there wasn't a lot of money printing at that point. They hadn't invented quantitative easing yet, uh, so uh, the, the devaluation of the dollar was relatively modest uh, during that time. But then in 2000, you start to see a pretty steady upward trajectory again, and the, that's when the Fed started doing the artificially low interest rates and, uh, you know, uh, quantitative easing. So the story for gold looks much different if you send me an actual chart that is not inflation adjusted. You can't see the impact of inflation in a chart that's adjusted for inflation. So um, kind of a little technical thing uh, on that. Also, you have to understand too, the devaluation of the dollar is not the only reason that the price of gold goes up or goes down, right? Uh, there are all kinds of factors that impact 
impact the price of gold, supply and demand, central bank gold buying. There's all kinds of factors in the market. It's a giant market. Um, and so there's all kinds of factors that you have to consider. Uh, so you're not going to see a one-to-one correlation between the devaluation of the dollar and uh, the the price of gold. It's, it's just not going to happen because there are other factors to include. I think where you really see how gold kind of holds its value over time is when you look at what it will actually buy, right? I mean, when you get down to it, money is not so much about money. It's about stuff. Ultimately, we want to be able to buy stuff. We want to be able to exchange our currency for stuff. And so if you take um, the price of a suit in ounces of gold in 1930 and then compare it to the price of a suit today in ounces of gold, the price of the suits actually dropped a little bit in terms of uh, in terms of ounces of gold. Uh, in other words, it takes slightly less gold today to buy a fine suit than it did then. That's because you see the uh, the the production of suits is now easier, and uh, you know over time as productivity gets better, prices will tend to fall. So you actually see that that gold buys basically the same stuff today as it did in 1930. And that's how you see it is holding its value against the devaluation of the dollar. Alrighty, that's all of the email questions I got. I want to answer a few that I got from Facebook. Uh, Brian asked, do you believe the dollar will collapse within the next 10 years? And if so, what will be the next form of currency most businesses and employers will turn to? That's a great question. And I will answer it 100% correctly or your money back. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I don't know. I mean, that's the, 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 the true answer. Um, I do believe the dollar will collapse. I believe it is inevitable that the dollar will collapse. All fiat currencies collapse. All empires fall. At some point, that's going to happen to the dollar. Now, will it be in the next 10 years? Eh, I don't know. I think I think if you if just going with my gut, talking off the top of my head, I don't think it will probably collapse within the next 10 years. In fact, I kind of envision a slow decline of the dollar. Now, I could be wrong. There could be something that precipitates a collapse. Uh, a war could precipitate the collapse of the dollar. Um, some major economic catastrophe uh, where the Fed is forced to print beyond what it has already printed, maybe that would precipitate a collapse. So it's not out of the question that that, that could happen tomorrow. Um, but I think given the trajectory, I think we'll see a slow decline over time. What will be the next form of currency most businesses and employers will, will turn to? I think the global economy is probably going to ultimately evolve to some form of basket, um, like a basket of reserve currencies, uh, maybe a combination of euros, dollars, yen, yuan, um, maybe some gold. Uh, maybe everybody will just try to go to central bank digital currency. I think CBDC has a chance of maybe propping up uh, the global financial system. Um, 
you know, it's hard to read into the future. And then I go back to what I said earlier in the show. That's why I think it is so important that we today now start developing currency competition, that the market starts to determine what can be the money of the future. Because ultimately, we're going to want to escape from whatever government garbage comes down the pike next uh, when the dollar's run is up. Um, And so, will that be gold, silver, digital currency, something else? I don't know. But we need to develop that currency competition today. We need to start uh, inserting these various currencies into the the market and see what works and see what doesn't work you know bitcoin i don't know what it is uh but i think that i think there's going to be a divergence i think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to get out of the government system uh because it's just not sustainable fiat money is not sustainable period so eventually it will collapse um, how long that will take i don't know um david asked What will be used as the main talking points and incentives to convince people that a CBDC is needed, central bank digital currency? That is a very good question. Um, And and I think I know the answer to that question uh, because they've already been kind of rolling out these talking points um, in what we've kind of termed the war on cash. Uh, Over the last decade or more, there has been a concerted effort by governments around the world to minimize the reliance on cash. Governments don't like cash, physical cash, because I can do things with cash and the government doesn't know. You know, uh, David and I could uh, do a business transaction in cash and nobody needs to know. And the government doesn't like nobody knowing. So it wants to eliminate cash. It wants to push us into a digital environment where it's easier to track, easier to control. So that's what they're going to sell it on. They're going to sell it on convenience. Oh, it's just much more convenient. Cash. It's a pain in the butt to have cash. You don't want to have to have cash. Just swipe a card. Swipe your phone. It's easy. I think that's the main selling point. The other selling point that they use is security. Um, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, cash, you know, criminals can use cash. Criminals can use Bitcoin. Criminals can't use CBDC because we can track it so you're safe. So the two things that, you know, really appeal to the average person, safety and security, those are the selling points that they're going to use. They're, they're already rolling that out, telling you how convenient it's going to be, how efficient, uh, how much more less prone to mistakes. Um, and, and so that's, that's what you're going to see. And, uh, finally another David, not the same David asked me, what do you think of chocolate milk? I love chocolate milk. You know, when I love chocolate milk, I love chocolate milk after a good hard workout, especially if I've done any type of lifting, any type of weights, Chocolate milk is the perfect after-workout drink. It is a nice combination of carbohydrates with the sugars, proteins with the milks, fats with the milks. It satisfies you. It's not heavy on your stomach. It's, it's drinkable. Love chocolate milk. for It's, it's my favorite go-to after-workout beverage. Uh, so there you go. Things that you always wanted to know about Mike. So... With that, I think we have uh, 
run through as many questions as uh, I can run through in the allotted time for this podcast. In fact, I'm a little bit long. Um, so, as usual, you know, we've talked a lot about investing. We've talked about uh, buying physical gold, physical silver. If you're interested in doing that, talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. Call 1-888-GOLD-160. Email them at info at shiftgold.com or just go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started page, and you can chat with a precious metal specialist right there. They will talk to you about a lot of things that we've mentioned, uh, particularly when it comes to what are your goals? What does your portfolio look like? What are you trying to do? Why do you want gold and silver? What are you looking at? Where are you in your uh, investment life, uh, life cycle? Uh, and they'll help you see how precious metals can fit into your portfolio. So do that today. Because again, you know, most people wait until it's too late. Um, you know, we don't worry about it until the, the calamity happens, but then it's too late. So do it today. And with that, that's a gold wrap for this week. And of course, you can get more details on, uh, well, you can't get details. See, this is where I'm going back to the script. I'm going to tell you that you can get details on all of these stories and more, but I haven't told you any stories, so I've just answered questions. But you can keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. And you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Black Podcast on uh, the Apple Podcast platform. We're on the Google platform. We're on uh, I think Spotify. Uh, we're on YouTube. You can get links to everything over on the show notes page at shiftgold.com slash news. And you can also find links on the show notes page to our social media platforms. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this Ask Mike Anything. Um, as you're listening, I'm probably playing hockey. So I'm looking forward to a fun weekend. I hope you have a great weekend as well. And I will talk to you again next week. <laughs>